Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Today we're starting a new series entitled Survivor Westside. Many of you have probably seen the television program uh, Survivor where people are placed on a deserted uh, island or out in the desert or in the jungle uh, where they have to survive against the hostile forces of nature uh, for a period of time, and the lone survivor wins the prize. I think being a member of Westside is a lot like the program Survivor, and we're going to see in these next few weeks what I mean by that. Now, today we're going to look at the war, the war. In the Survivor Show, they have to battle against the hostile forces of nature as they find themselves. I remember one episode that I saw, the group had built their camp near a water water source, which was a stream, but then there was a torrential downfall that night, and the stream got so large that it washed away their camp, and so they had to fight against that, plus you've got mosquitoes and you've got other things that are battling them. Well, in this war that you and I find ourselves, we're not fighting against hostile forces of nature. We're fighting against the hostile forces of the, of the supernatural, of our enemy. And so today we're going to be looking at the war. We're going to see the constancy of the war. We're going to see the character of the war. And then we're going to see the Christian in the spiritual warfare. First of all, let's look at the constancy of the war. Now, you might think as a Christian, the more mature you become in Christ, the less you'll find yourself struggling against the enemy, the less you'll find yourself involved in spiritual warfare. But I want you to know that just the opposite is true. The more spiritually mature you are, the more you will find yourself in the spiritual battles, experiencing the warfare. I think that may be one of the reasons that we experience so much warfare at Westside. Of other churches that I've pastored, none have experienced the intensity and the duration of spiritual warfare that I have experienced in my 15 years here at Westside. And I think it's because we have many believers that are mature in the Lord and desire to serve the Lord fervently. In every church I've pastored, there has been what we pastors call the core. Now, you have a committed few people who do most of the work, who give most of the money, who are really committed to serve the Lord and really have a hunger for God. And then you have a group outside of that who are kind of loosely connected, loosely committed, and then you have a group outside of that that show up on Sunday morning and, and aren't very committed at all. Every church has those. Well, I immediately realized when I came to Westside that the core was much larger percentage-wise for church membership than the other churches I've been involved with. And I think because of that, we experience, we experience more spiritual warfare. And perhaps when you joined Westside, we didn't tell you ahead of time what you were getting in for. Uh, but if you're part of this body, 
Uh, you probably recognize that there are spiritual battles that you're fighting that you didn't have to fight, perhaps when you were members of other churches or at other times in your life. But I want you to know the Scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, you see the word prowls? That carries the idea of stalking. And we all are familiar with the term stalking, where somebody just continues to watch somebody and they follow somebody and they wait for the time when that person is vulnerable, when that person is not looking, and then they make their attack. Well, that's what Satan and his forces do. They stalk us. He prowls around, waiting, looking for that moment that you're vulnerable. When you let down your guard, when you least expect him, then like that lion, he moves in for the attack. So, there is a constancy in the spiritual warfare. Jesus experienced this constancy. Now, you remember when Jesus was tempted before he went into his public ministry, four temptations that he went through when Satan came to him and Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and Satan basically said, look, if you're really God's son, then take your power and turn these stones into bread. And if you've ever been over in the Holy Land around that area in Judean wilderness, there are just a multitude of, of rocks, stones that are about the shape of a, a loaf of bread that's round. And so I can see why he would see all of these stones and being hungry, it would be a tremendous temptation. And then Satan said, if you will just bow down before me, and he'd show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, he said, I will give you these kingdoms. And so Jesus experienced tremendous temptations from Satan at the beginning of his ministry. But you might think, well, that was it. Once he had defeated Satan on those four occasions and Satan left him alone, nothing could be further from the truth. And the Scripture does not as directly show us the temptations that Jesus faced through the rest of his life as it does in those initial temptations, but they were there. In fact, at the end of the account in Luke, he says these words in chapter 4, verse 13. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan pulled away, but he kept stalking. He kept prowling, waiting, looking at Jesus, waiting for a time that he felt Jesus was vulnerable and he moved in for the attack. And if you read the Gospels carefully, you can see when some of those attacks emerge. One is clear. When Jesus told Peter he had to go and suffer and die, and Peter said, no, 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 you cannot do that. You're going to set up a kingdom here on earth. And you remember what Jesus said? Get you behind me, Satan. Jesus recognized that was the temptation of Satan. But Jesus to take the easy road. Not go the way of the cross. But Satan was waiting because the battle, the warfare is constant. Paul experienced this battle on a constant nature and constantly. Paul would go out and he would have tremendous revivals when he went to Ephesus. God moved in such a mighty way that 
There was a revival in that city and people brought their books dealing with the occult and dealing with magic and they burned them. But Satan was waiting. And it's usually, I've noticed, after some of the greatest spiritual victories that Satan moves in for the... And that's the way it was with Paul in Ephesus. There was a man named Demetrius who was a silversmith and he made idols to Artemis. And so... When this revival took place, people stopped buying these idols because they knew they didn't need them anymore. They knew that God was a true God. Well, Demetrius got upset because his pocketbook was being affected. And so he gathered some other silversmith around and he said, Look, man, this guy is ruining our business. And so they caused a riot in Ephesus against Paul. Then Paul went to Philippi. And no sooner had he been there than this girl who was demonized kept trailing him And she was telling the future. She was annoying him. She was telling people that he was the prophet of God. And you say, well, hey, that wasn't a good thing? No. You don't want certain people endorsing you, right? I don't know many candidates that want the Ku Klux Klan to endorse them, right? I mean, some endorsements are a curse. Well, this was the case with this girl. And finally, Paul got so annoyed, he turned and he cast out this demon through the power of Jesus. Well, This girl's master, who was making money again from her fortune-telling, got upset and had Paul thrown in a prison where he was beaten and eventually ended up in the dungeon. And then when Paul went to Lystra, the power of God was moving so greatly, so mightily, that the people were falling down wanting to worship Paul as a Zeus. And he said, no, no, don't worship me. I'm just a man. Worship God. But then some Judaizers came and turned the fickle people's hearts against Paul. And the one they had wanted to fall down and worship, a day earlier they turned and stoned him and left him for dead. And so the battle is constant. And you and I also experience the constancy of the warfare. It will have seasons of greater intensity, and you'll see times that it seems to be worse But you can be assured it is constant. The devil never takes a holiday. He never takes a vacation. He is always at work prowling, waiting, stalking he and his demons to the time that they can sense your vulnerability and move in for the attack. And there are two things this says to me. First, this means that we must not grow weary. When you have to stay constantly alert, there is a danger that you will grow weary because it takes a tremendous amount of energy, a tremendous amount of effort and strength to stay vigilant and to hang on and not grow weary. One of the hardest things about the war we find ourselves in in Iraq is the need for the soldiers to maintain a constant vigilance. Because in guerrilla warfare, you never know who is the enemy. You know, back in World War II, you knew who the enemy was. They had on the enemy uniform. And it was pretty easy to identify who the enemy was. But in nowadays, the enemy looks just like the citizens. And they don't always wear uniforms. And they can be coming up with bombs on their own body. And so you don't know, and the soldiers have to constantly be alert, constantly thinking when they see somebody, is this enemy or is this a friend? Oh, a friend. And then that wears you down. So we must not grow weary. 
Back a few years ago, Henry Dempsey piloted a commuter flight from uh, Portland, Maine to Boston. And as he was into this flight, he heard a strange noise in the back of his small plane. And so he turned over the controls to his co-pilot and he headed back to the tail section of the plane to try to discover what the noise was. When he got back to the tail section, they hit an air pocket and it threw him against the door, the back door of the plane, and he suddenly found out what was causing the noise. Someone had not properly latched the door of the plane. And when he was pushed up against it, it flew open and he was sucked out immediately. Well, his co-pilot, seeing a red light come on, indicating the door was open, radioed to the closest tower and requested emergency landing. And he asked them to dispatch a helicopter to search for the pilot that had been sucked out of the plane somewhere in that ocean region. About ten minutes, he landed the plane to find Henry Dempsey holding on to the outside ladder. Somehow, when he'd gotten sucked out, he'd grabbed the hold to the ladder. And for 10 minutes, at 4,000 feet, going 200 miles an hour, he had hung on to that plane. Now, can you imagine how his muscles must have cramped and ached as he was holding on with that force pulling against him? He even managed to keep his head off the runway when it landed, the runway only being 12 inches from his head. It's reported that airplane uh, that the airport workers had to pry his hands away from the ladder. Now, what would have happened if he had grown weary? If he said, oh, the pain is hurting, it's, it's tired of holding on. We cannot grow weary even though the battle is constant. And secondly, we must not let down our guard. Not for one second. We cannot afford to let down our guard because He is always looking. He's always waiting. That lion is waiting, looking for that animal to show some weakness, to pull itself away from the herd and attack. Satan is looking. His demons are waiting, looking at you, waiting for you to pull yourself away from the herd, waiting for you to get vulnerable, waiting for you to fall so that he and his demons can move in for the kill. So the battle is constant. Secondly, I want you to look at the character of the war. First, and turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to read together Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Let's stand together in respect for the Word of God. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You may be seated. As we look at the character of the war, we can see in verse 12 that it is a struggle. Paul says, for our struggle. Now, this word for struggle in the Greek is actually the word for a wrestling match, to wrestle. Paul says that this warfare is a wrestling match. Now, if you're going to appreciate what Paul is saying, we've got to get away from the wrestling matches that we're familiar with in our day. And I'm talking about the ones that are on TV uh, that are fake, and they jump all around and <laughs> slap the mat and do all that kind of stuff and jump on people's throats, and they just jump up and run around and all that. we got to get away from that. That's not what Paul has in mind when he says the spiritual warfare is a wrestling match. No, he has the wrestling games of, of his day in mind of the Greeks. They were much different. First, they were not fake. Secondly, the way a person won that match was you would pin the opponent to the mat with your hands around their neck, pressing down. The loser of the match would have his eyes gouged out, resulting in blindness. They were serious. And so when Paul says it is a wrestling match, he is telling us several things about the character of this war. First, it is violent hand-to-hand combat. It is up close and personal. Satan wants to get in your face. He wants to get close to you. He wants to get hand-to-hand combat, and he is violent in his approach. Secondly, it is a desperate and fateful battle with devastating consequences if we lose. The loser in Paul's day had his eyes gouged out. If you lose this spiritual battle, there are devastating consequences. Ask Jim Baker. Ask Jimmy Swagger. Ask Ted Haggard. There are devastating consequences when we lose the battle. And then thirdly, it is fierce and it is strategic. Satan is out for the... Make no mistake. He's not toying around. He's not playing around. He is serious. And he would like nothing better than to destroy your marriage. He would like nothing better than for you two to hate each other and end in a messy, ugly divorce. Make no mistake. He would like nothing better than to lead your children into drug addiction. Lead them into sexual promiscuity. He would like nothing better than to turn one of your kids into a homosexual. He's serious. It is a fierce battle. And it is strategic. He's not dumb. He is brilliant. If Satan could take an IQ test, he would blow the top off the Sanford Benet chart. And his demons have been around long enough to learn a lot themselves. And so it's strategic. He knows your Achilles heel. He knows where you're more vulnerable. He knows when you're more vulnerable. And he's waiting, he's stalking, and it is a serious conflict. Second aspect, not only is it a struggle, it's not primarily against people. Again, in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that's another way of saying not against people, but against the rulers. Now, he's not talking about earthly rulers. 
These are terms used to speak about demonic powers and satanic forces against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Many scholars think that what Paul has given us here is a hierarchy of Satan's army, beginning with the lowest group being the rulers, above them the powers, above them the world forces of this darkness that control various planets, excuse me, various continents, and then above that the forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Is that what he's saying? I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you realize your battle is not against people. It's against Satan and his forces. But he uses people. People are his pawn. He uses people, but the battle is not against people, and we need to realize that. Now, there are several reasons we need to remember this. Number one, if it were against people, then you might be able to defeat them in your own power, right? And if it's just people, well, you know, I can battle just as good as they can. I can argue just as good as they can. You know, I'm stronger than they are. I can take them down. So if it were just against humans, you might be able to win in your own strength. But it's not. It's not. It's against spiritual forces, supernatural spiritual forces, and there is no way you can win in your own strength. There is no way you can come up against the forces of Satan and expect to win in your own strength and on your own abilities. And then secondly... When someone sins against you, look beyond them to the real enemy. Your husband is not the real enemy. You may feel like he is, but he's not. Your parents are not the enemy. Satan is. And so when somebody lies about you, don't lie back. Somebody gossips about you, don't go out and gossip against them. Think, I'll get back at them. Look beyond them. Realize they're just a pawn and it's Satan. And his forces that are behind what's going on. This is tremendously helpful in getting beyond the personal and wanting to attack people back when you realize, hey, the real enemy is Satan and his forces. The third thing we need to realize about the character of this war, not only is it a struggle, not only is it not against people, but it involves Satan's trickery, Satan's schemes. Verse 11. But put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The idea carries that of trickery, deceit, crafty methods, sneaky, that snake in the grass. Now, what are some of Satan's deceitful ways? And I'm going to only cover briefly some ways. But you ask yourself, is Satan using one of these tricky ways, one of these schemes in your life? First, undermining God's character. He likes to do this when things happen in our lives that are adverse. He wants us to doubt God's love. Well, if God loved me, why would He let this happen to me? Oh, no matter how hard you try to be good and do right, things are just going wrong. And you think, God, what's the use? I've done my part. Why haven't you done your part? They want you to doubt God's faithfulness. He wants you to doubt God's power to solve your problem. He wants you to worry and think, my problem's too big even for God. There's no way out. He wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants you to doubt God's wisdom. God, you don't know what you're doing in this situation. You're thinking, I can handle it better, God. 
So he wants you to doubt God's character. Secondly, he wants to make it hard for you to live a Christian life. He may do this through persecution. It may be mild persecution. It may just be people talking about you at work because you stand up for Christian morals. It may be that uh, you're passed over for a promotion at work because you're not considered a team player because you don't go along with some of the unethical activities that others are doing at work. Or you don't go out and drink with the guys. It may be it makes it difficult through peer pressure. You, know, you don't want to stand out from the crowd. You don't want to be different. You want to blend in school. It may be through prosperity. You know, it's difficult to live the Christian life when everything's going great. It really is because you tend to don't think you need God. You tend to get caught up in how good things are going. You think you're self-sufficient. Are you experiencing any of these in your life? Maybe through discouragement. You work and you work and you work, but you don't see any fruit. You don't see any results. You pray and you pray and you pray, but there are no results. And so you get discouraged. You just want to give up and quit. Well, Satan wants. He wants us to get discouraged because we are looking at our situation rather than looking at God. You know, we've done so many things here at Westside to try to reach our community, and yet you could say, well, but they don't seem to be working. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. Preach, I don't want to do it anymore. Discouragement comes when we look at ourselves rather than looking at God. Weariness is another thing. Now, I think there's just a spirit of weariness in this church. People just talk. They wants to get us worn out. He wants to get us tired. I found out this was a tactic of Satan when I was in my first pastorate. I remember after I'd only been there a few months, I began to just be tired all the time, weary. I mean, I remember trying to write my sermon notes, and it was just all I could do to push the pencil on the paper to write the words. I've never experienced this kind of weariness in my life. So I figured, well... Maybe I got tired of blood. You know, I'd seen these Geritol advertisements. So I went by the drugstore and picked up some Geritol. Started taking it. 26 years of age. But said, hey, you know, I couldn't figure out why I was so tired all the time. I took Geritol. A month or so later, they had a, dr- a blood drive at the, the church, and so I thought I'd go donate some blood. Well, one of the things they would do is they'd take a drop of your blood and they'd drop it in this solution and how fast it descended indicated, I think, uh, if you were anemic or not, how much iron you had in your blood. I remember that lady dropped a drop in there and it went, Phew. she said, man, she said, if you had any more, we couldn't take your blood and you got iron packed in your blood. I was still just as tired as ever. So I just surmised it wasn't tired blood, my problem. And I discovered it was a spiritual warfare. So Satan works that way. He gets us weary. He gets us worn out. He gets us tired. There's this heaviness. There's this sense of exhaustion. We have to realize the Lord's our strength. The Lord is our strength and our refuge, our stronghold. We get that strength from Him. Maybe Satan seeks to, one of his schemes is urging Christians to trust in their own resources. You know, you maybe memorize some book of the Bible Completed some Bible study course, attended some seminar, learned all these truths, and you think, man, I got it now. I can do it. And you go out in your own strength. Oh, he loves that. Maybe he uses the scheme of encouraging you to be worldly. I mean, he wants us to be just like non-Christians. I've told you before, when I was over in Romania one time, I told them, I said, you know, old communists were really pretty dumb when they tried to stomp out Christianity by destroying the church and closing churches. That's no way to destroy Christianity. 
They would have done a much better job of destroying Christianity if they'd given everybody a television set and a Sears Roebuck catalog and increased their salary three times. That would do a whole lot more to destroy Christianity than trying to suppress the church. Worldliness. And over the time period that we went over there, because communism had only fallen for a few years when we first started going, and that was a tremendous spiritual hunger among the people. But as we kept going back, even the Romanian pastors were saying to us, this prosperity we're experiencing is hurting our people's spiritual hunger. The pastors were meeting at one time to pray about revival in the country because they were seeing a drop in church attendance because almost everybody had a television set, folks. And they weren't doing much better financially. And so maybe Satan is working on you in this area of worldliness. He wants you to live just like the world. Have everything the world has. Maybe he's trying the scheme of bringing you to disobey God's Word. You see, he knows it's better to obey than to sacrifice, so he doesn't mind if you come to church and sing songs and hear preaching. Just don't obey God's Word. Just go away and live just like you live anyway. Be disobedient. And you can soothe your conscience by thinking, well, I went to church. I put something in the plate. I've done my duty for the week. Satan just smiles. Said, yeah, go back next Sunday too. I'd rather you do that than to not go and think, well, you know, I need to do something for God now because I haven't gone to church. I need, maybe need to live right. Maybe I need to obey God. Or maybe he's trying to trick you into his ways by inciting rebellion in your heart toward proper authority, toward your boss at work, maybe toward your parents, maybe toward the government, maybe toward church leadership, maybe toward your husband. Is there rebellion in your heart? Satan loves rebellion. His first sin was rebellion against God. And he loves to get you in rebellion. And we have such a rebellious society, we don't even recognize it most of the time when it's there. And Satan loves it. So that's your character of the war. Now what about you as a Christian in this war? I want to look at your power, and I want to look at your preparedness as we conclude. First, your power. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might, the strength to wage this war is in the Lord. God never, ever intended for you and I to fight this battle in our own strength. He knows we're no match for the supernatural power of Satan. And so He tells us clearly, in the strength of the Lord, be strong in the Lord. Now this word, be strong, is a command in the Greek. And it is a passive command. Now, that's interesting. We're commanded to be strengthened. Now, the passive voice means the action is done to the subject. So, literally, it should be translated, be strengthened in the Lord. And even more precisely, I command you to allow the Lord to strengthen you. See, we're commanded to allow God to strengthen us. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. All the power that you and I need to walk in consistent victory over Satan is provided by the Lord. We must allow ourselves to be strengthened. And I want you to know three things about this power. First of all, it is resurrection power. This is a resurrection power of our God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that seated Him in heavenly places the same power that put all the forces of Satan at His feet is the same power that you and I have in us. Over in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 19, we see, 
And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? He explains it. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. How is this strength of His might? What is it? He defines it even more clearly. Which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church. Paul is saying the same power that God used to raise Christ, to defeat the, the forces of Satan, to give Him victory, is the same power that is available to you and me in this war. Not only is it resurrection power, but it is glorious power as well. Over in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says over in verse 10, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now listen. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. See that phrase, glorious might? It literally is the might of His glory. The might of His glory. How much power does the glory of God have? It has so much power no man can see its fullness and live. It sucked the life right out of you. It has so much power that Daniel got a glimpse of it and he fell out like a dead man. It has so much power that when the shepherds on that first Christmas morning beheld it, they trembled, scared to death. And it is the power of that glory, the might of His glory that you and I have at our disposal in this warfare. Satan doesn't have a prayer. We use that power. Not only is it resurrection power and glorious power, but it is dependable power as well. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about that power and that grace that we have. As he writes in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. His power is perfected in our weakness. His power is dependable. You can count on it. His grace is always there for you as a Christian. Allow yourself to be strengthened in His power. Next, look at the preparedness. Verse 11. Your preparedness as a Christian. Put on the full armor of God. That's a command again. I command you to put on the full armor of God. Now, notice he says full armor. You've got to put on every piece of it because that armor is crucial to your fighting and winning the battle. Every piece of armor must be put on. Your preparedness must include putting on every part of it and not leaving any of it off or taking any of it off. Again, this command is in the tense that means for once and for all, put on the armor and leave it on. You can't afford to take it off. We all recognize how important preparation is for success. We recognize that. The Cobb County Police Force has one of the most stringent preparations of any police force in this nation. It is the most stringent of any in the state of Georgia. My future son-in-law is a cadet in the Cobb County training. He has to go to class for 23 weeks 
and be on the firing range and in the classroom for 23 weeks in preparation. After that is completed, he then has to ride in the car with another officer for 50 days. Only after he has successfully completed the 23 weeks of classroom and firing range training and been in a car with another officer for 50 days can he ride alone by himself. There are some law enforcement divisions in our area that only require 12 weeks in a classroom. Preparation, crucial to success. And we all recognize that. And one of the main aspects of our preparation in this spiritual war is to put on the full armor of God. In this series, Survivor Westside, we're going to be looking at the spiritual armor that God has given us, and we're going to look at what it means to put it on and how we must keep it on. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at the, breast, the girdle of truth and what that means, the first part of our armor. What I want you to leave here today, asking yourself, Am I engaged victoriously in the battle? Am I winning the war? Not only do we want you to survive, but we want you to thrive in your Christian life. We must never let down the guard. Jose Cabrero was a famous matador in Spain. And he was, as he was lying on the arena floor, bleeding to death, he said to his friend, Paola, the bull has killed me. And he lost consciousness and bled to death. What had happened on that fateful day in 1985 is he made the tragic mistake as he thrust his final sword into the bull that was staggering and fell over, crumbled to the ground, thinking the bull was finished. Jose turned to the crowd to accept their applause. When he was had let his guard down, the bull jumped up and his horn penetrated Jose's back and went up into his heart and he bled to death. All because he let down his guard. He let down his vigilance. It only takes a minute. It only takes a moment. Father, thank You for the truthfulness of Your Word and the power of Your Word and the grace that You dispense through Your Word to strengthen us, to enable us to walk victoriously in this battle, that we might not only survive, but thrive in our Christian life. To Your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. If you need to come and pray, we invite you to do so. If you want someone to pray with you, if you'll come over by the keyboard, someone will join you. Maybe you just have a burden and you say, I just need some people to pray with me. Maybe you want to pray by yourself. I understand that. Sometimes I just want to pray by myself. You come over here. No one will disturb you. You need to talk to me about your spiritual condition. I'll be glad to talk with you. But you will never even begin to win this war until you have Christ in your life. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. How do you have Jesus in your heart, in your life? You have to invite Him to come in. You have to recognize you are separated from a holy God because of your personal sin. You have to be willing to turn away from those sins in His power. Not turn away first because you cannot, but be willing to turn away. That's repentance. And trust that He accomplished everything necessary through His perfect life, through His death on the cross, for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to have a place in heaven. And invite Him to your, into your life as your Lord. Surrender your will to Him. That's your heart's desire. Will you step out as we sing together? Stand as we sing.